I found myself recalling it was my ordination class that was the last, uh, with some rare exceptions, that were able in our, at least in, in our province and most of the provinces of the United States, to celebrate Ascen Ascension Thursday. Uh, that uh, the vote had made, been made in 2000 and 2001, I, if I have my uh, numbers right, uh, is when it, uh, it transferred to Sunday. And uh, this week I came across an article that kind of hinted at perhaps the reason for this transfer was a misunderstanding or a not, at least a not full understanding of what this feast really celebrates. And uh, that because it was a holy day of obligation before that, of course, and of course uh, some have suggested maybe it was a way of lightening the obligations that we have as Catholics or whatever, uh, but I, the more I, I found myself thinking about that particular article, the more I realized that maybe there's an understanding here. So often we might get the idea that the Ascension is just one of those things that we just kind of mark because, it, hey, it happened and, and that's, that's it. You know, we Catholics, we mark everything, don't we? I mean, uh, uh, Father Craig would point out that the uh, St. Lawrence who died on a, a gridiron, uh, there's two or three different bars that, bars as in bar and grill, uh, not, not, not bars that you walk into or whatever, but uh, two or three different bars or pubs in Rome that say, this is the very grill on which Lawrence died. We, we mark everything. And, and so why wouldn't we mark the Ascension? But that's not what the Ascension, that's not the minimum of what the Ascension is. Rather, we have to recall that what happens at the Ascension is Jesus Christ in his humanity, in his flesh, resurrected, yes, but in his flesh, ascends to heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father on the throne, that he in his flesh, in his humanity, is set higher than the angels. That's what St. Uh, Paul is talking about to the Ephesians today. If we're not paying attention, we might think, yeah, he's just naming all these different ways of, of relating to the world, the principalities, authorities, powers, and dominions. These are classes of the angels, though. Jesus Christ in his flesh is made higher than the angels. But because he is higher than the angels, begotten, not made, but in his flesh, higher than the angels, because Jesus Christ ascends to heaven. Now, if that's true, and I believe it is, hopefully we all believe it is, that <laughs> something I came across last night, I found myself giggling about it a, a number of times already, that if that's true, that Jesus Christ in his flesh ascends to heaven, takes his place at the throne of God, it's the ultimate work at home, isn't it? Because Jesus Christ goes home to where he belongs and does not go to rest, but goes to direct. And we found a lot out during COVID about work at home and all those things. And some of the stats I saw were actually kind of interesting. One, uh, one stat I found... Uh, and as I said last week, of course, you know that most stats are completely made up or, or whatever. But uh, one stat I found said that productivity actually increased for, for many workers at work at home. Because when you go to work, you work, you work and you go and visit with your, your co-workers. You go to the water cooler and you do those things. But when you're at home, you don't have some of those distractions. And something psychological happens that, well, I have to work because I'm at home. I have to be more conscious about when I'm working. 
If that's true, then Jesus goes and does not take rest, but rather works even harder from heaven. And I believe that is indeed the case. That he goes to heaven not to rest, but to direct. To direct. Like a good general would, would do, he always tried to get the vantage point. He always tried to see the entire field of, of battle. And when Jesus from heaven is given that entire field, he has the ability to do so and to direct us. I, I will admit, too, I, I wish I were uh, so often... Uh, with some of these uh, different things in the, in the scriptures, especially the New Testament, I wish I were just a fly in the wall or, or the hillside as, as today's would be, especially today as St. Luke records the ascension and, and to know that he records actually the ascension twice in the Acts of the Apostles that we hear today, but also in his own gospel. He reco- records it a little bit more briefly in the gospel. But here, there they are standing, and these two men are white. So, well, what are you doing staring at the sky? This Jesus is going to return just as he is gone. But it's also a way of them saying, now your work begins. While Jesus goes home to work, our work begins. And yes, it is our work. Even though St. Luke records that it was the disciples that, uh, that are there, or actually, it's, it's the gospel reading St. Matthew, but it's the, the 11 that are there. Matthew, St. Matthew records the 11 disciples. And I found myself, why would he record 11 disciples instead of the, the 11 or the 11 apostles? Of course, Judas had, had gone, taken himself out of the picture. Why? Because that is the mission. They are disciples first, they are followers of Jesus Christ, students of Jesus Christ, learning from him. Uh, my favorite, uh, and I've shared this a number of times, but Dr. Ed Shri has a great image of a disciple in the, uh, in the Greek world, and, and uh, the, there was a whole style of learning called parapodeic teaching, where the disciple would simply follow the teacher. Follow the teacher as he's walking down the trails and going from here to there. And usually they would follow so close they would be covered with the dust of the teacher. And, and he shares that when they would get into town, sometimes the student would be mistaken for the teacher just simply because they had learned from the teacher how to speak and, and what to say and all those things. But they were so covered in dust you couldn't recognize who they were. And as disciples, that's what we are called to be. That we are called to be in the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. That that we are to be so covered in his dust that we are mistaken for him. And I think that's a great image for a disciple. That we are mistaken for him because we've learned so well from him what it means to be a disciple. How to speak and how to to, uh, call others. But our role doesn't end there, but rather... In, in the very verb that is used, and it's one word, to make disciples. There's no uh, English equivalent of, uh, that uh, in one word we can, we can make it uh, without uh, getting a little weird with discipleship making or whatever, you know. But, it's, uh, but we are called to be disciples and to make disciples. I found myself reflecting, if we took a survey out and about, and again, I'd like to keep the statistics and completely make them up and twist them around, but if we took a survey and what is the most important job that a parent would have, uh, we would probably hear something like, well, to provide for your family, which is good, that's important, 
or to establish your children in, in the way of life that they are to go, which is good, that's important, or, or to, to, to uh, have a nice house or, or a car or all those things. If we'd ask what's the most important thing in life in general, we might hear, you know, uh, to, to, to make lots of money and to retire early and to enjoy life and all those things. But when we come to the church, the most important thing we can do, the most important thing parents do, is to raise your children as disciples. This is the most important thing. And I know it's with great sadness that so often that isn't necessarily always the case through no fault of a parent at all. I, I've, I shared last night, and I, I'll continue to uh, most likely this morning, but my, my mother uh, has, uh, was upset. My sisters and my brother don't attend Mass, and she, one day she, she said, you're the only one that attends Mass. And I said, Mom, I haven't attended Mass in years. She got a little upset with me, and she realized what I was saying. I haven't attended Mass. I've always been either the celebrant or at least concelebrating. But I, I saw that sadness in her. And it's through no fault of her own. But, again, my, my siblings will have to carry that. And I try to do what I can to uh, bring the faith to them and, and to talk to them about things. And, and I see those little glimmers and I jump on them. And, you know, but, but I know that, again, that doesn't negate the task that you as parents have to help your children become disciples. If you want to ponder this, and I find myself pondering it frequently, I'm a disciple because my mother was a disciple. It was a disciple because of her, her parents, or disciples because of their parents, and because of their parents, and their parents, and their parents, and their parents. All of us are disciples because somebody discipled us. All of us. And we can trace our lineage down if we wanted to, and we, if we had enough good enough records, we should be able to trace our lineage to Jesus Christ himself, somebody who is a disciple of Jesus directly. But it doesn't end there. As, as I shared some time ago, Bishop Felton at our retreat shared a particular challenge for us, or at least I received it as a challenge in a good way. He said, what are we doing preparing for the church to become smaller? Yes, in reality is we might have to close some parishes, we might have to adjust some things, or, or, or some ministries we might have to say goodbye to. But what are we doing making the church smaller? We should be, pre be preparing for growth, because we are called, just as the disciples were, just as the apostles were, to make disciples. And if we're called to make disciples, yes, in some of our rural areas, we're, we're experiencing some slowing of the population, but... We're not dying. We should be preparing as a community to welcome those who we weren't aware of, those that are suddenly coming to understand what it means to be faithful. We have people that are unchurched, perhaps even unbaptized, that we need to invite back. And this gets a little daunting perhaps for us, and we might think, well, how can I make it make a disciple. I ran across something again this week. A woman who said, I'm becoming Catholic simply because I've experienced the kindness of many Catholics who have loved me. Of course, it doesn't end there. She said, but that was the start of my conversion. Love. 
Love is the key to making disciples. As Jesus first loved us, we love him and we love one another. As we love one another, the people will see that love and they will say, I need that love. We live in a world that is so loveless, isn't it? And we live in a world too, in the, uh, today in this uh, first reading, this promise of the Holy Spirit that we will uh, celebrate the full reception of, of course, next week with Pentecost. But you will receive power. We live in a world that, that feels so powerless. And those who have faith, those who have love, those who follow Jesus Christ, those who have the Spirit dwelling in them, have profound power. We need to share this message. And if we do, we better open up the doors for a lot more people. We are called to make disciples. We are called to love one another, which is the most important way. Yes, it starts there, it doesn't end there, of course. It means teaching the gospel and helping people to understand how to live a right relationship with God the Father and with one another. But let love this day be the way we commit to one another to making disciples for all.